I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. You've been so good to me. You've forgiven me. You've redeemed me. You've got good plans for me. I'm saved. I'm part of the bride. And not just me, but everyone here. God, if there be one here tonight that does not know you, that does not know you as that loving Savior, that loving Master, tonight's the night. Father, I worship you. Thank you for your goodness. I love you. I thank you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Come on, church. Take about... Take about 15, 20 seconds and in your own way, just lift your hands and just tell him how you love him. Man, I'm not trying to draw this out. This ain't like me. I'm telling you, there's something special right now. James Version tonight. Let me give a little bit of a disclaimer. This, when you study this, these two verses I'm going to read to you, verses 7 and 8, when you study these out, there's a portion of this in the King James Version that's a little bit debatable where some people feel like the scribes may have added the last portion of verse 7 basically as an explanation of the first part of the verse. So my point in saying all this, if you read in certain verses, versions of your Bible, you may not see about the last half of verse 7 because they feel like it's somewhat of uh, just an explanation of what should be obvious. So if you, again, if you read certain versions and you don't see the last half of this verse in it, don't let that confuse you. That's not taking away or adding to Scripture. But the King James Version says this, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three, verse 8, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Everybody say amen. You can be seated tonight. We're going to jump right into this. I feel like the Lord laid onto my heart several days ago as I was uh, preparing this message. Um. I am not what you would call a revivalist. In fact, sometimes people get upset whenever they hear the word revivalist because it's not mentioned in the scripture as one of the five-fold ministry. But whenever we, in, in this day and age, when we talk about revivalists, what we really mean is somebody that carries a word, that carry an anointing that brings about revival. And that can be a pastor, that can be a prophet, that can be an apostle, evangelist, a teacher, that can be any of those that can bring about uh, revival teaching or preaching, but... Um, I would not say that I, I don't equate myself to be one of those that operates in that kind of an anointing all of the time. And I feel like my assignment for tonight is to talk about, about revival. 
I'm not here to preach to you a revival message as much as I am to, to talk to you tonight. I feel a heaviness and a burden in my heart to speak to you about revival. I want to talk to you about revival and how to know when you are in true revival. And I want to talk to you tonight, the, finally, on the third thing being the remnant church. We talk about the remnant church and truly the remnant church being the remnant church will be in revival. I'm not one of these individuals that, again, considers myself to be a true revivalist. I don't, I don't carry 40 or 50 messages around in my back pocket that are just hot messages that I can pull from at any given moment. And I don't say that in any form or fashion derogatory to anybody that does. Because as one preacher had said, he said, if a message is good enough to preach once, it's good enough to preach twice. And I believe that. I'm not at all taking away from that giftedness and from that anointing. That's not my intention tonight. And I understand that, that pastors and preachers and evangelists, oftentimes when they're preaching the word, there is also a word inside of them that always seems to come out. It always seems to resonate in all of their messages. It's always something that seems to manifest. But tonight... I feel like I have a message or a word from you about the revival that is upon us. I don't know if you know it or not, but we truly are in the middle of revival. And I believe that. I really do believe that. And to a large degree, I believe that we are in part of that last day outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is prophesied. It is now being fulfilled in all across this country. And loosely, it may be referred to as the last day revival that so many people have been looking for and have been praying for. And I want to say this, the Lord dropped this in my heart, that this revival that we have been praying for and looking for, it may not start or manifest in the exact glorious process of events that we want it to. I think in the mind's eye of a lot of people, they can envision a throwback to, you know, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the Jesus movement and the revival that happened then and all the people showing up to the church houses and they're ready for a, a powerful man of God to preach or a powerful woman of God to preach and all of these services. I'm not saying it may not manifest like that. It very well may, but I think sometimes we get this vision of things that this is how it's going to be and I think oftentimes... God has a way of throwing us off. God uses events. He uses things that, that will be precipice. They will be the starting point. They will be the catalyst that brings things about. I think in the eyes of a lot of people, even in the church, we want to try and organize the revival and we want to try and kick it off in our own, uh, in, in our own way of doing things. And it's not going to happen that way. I think a lot of people, when they, when they talk about revival and when they think about revival, they think of it in a way, and hear me out, the, the Lord just kind of gave me an illustration. It's almost as though, how many of you like to watch Christian movies? Christian movies. The Christian movie sector is taking off right now. Where a lot of the movies in Hollywood are dropping off, the Christian movie sector is picking up pace. And a lot of these Christian movies, like so many movies, they have the characters, they have the plot, they have the subplot, they have the protagonist, they have the antagonist. You've got to have all that kind of stuff that makes a good storyline. We get all that. And I think for a lot of Christians, we feel like revival is going to be that. Where it's as though we come in and we sit down and we watch things come to pass in front of us where, where we watch the bad thing happen to the character where we watch the protagonist have something happen and we watch the antagonist have something happen and, and we sit there and our emotions get worked up. How many of you get emotional during a movie? You know, you start to cry or maybe you get happy or maybe you get angry at something that's going on. But nevertheless, you, you watch all of this play out in front of you and you, you enjoy it and you might get angry by it. But here's the difference. You're not really in the movie. It ain't happening. You're enjoying it, or maybe you're angry at what's going on, but here's the thing. You can sympathize or you can empathize with the events that are taking place, but I want to tell you something. God is not about you just sitting back and watching the world pass you by and you sitting there and sympathizing with what's going on in the world with you empathizing with what's going on in the world, God is wanting his church to be right smack dab in the middle of what is playing out. 
We are not to be spectators in the events happening in this world right now. God has called us to be right in the middle of the events. And I feel the Holy Ghost in this thing right now. God has called you to be right in the middle of the story that he is writing for this day and age. Now many of us, we sit back and we want to again sympathize with the things. And we, we want to experience the good and the bad from a distance because we're not really invested that way. But God is looking for people to be invested in this last day move. Revival is about being revitalized in the presence of God and in our faith in God. And without a doubt, we need that. And it's so important in our walk and our faith with the Lord. How many of you remember Johnny Ziegler a few weeks ago? Powerful move of God. Powerful word. Powerful anointing. Fantastic worship that we had in the move of God. It was, again, it was, it, was, it was unbelievable the lives that were changed and we need those moments, those special moments of God's outpouring of grace and His mercy and the Holy Spirit that turn our hearts and our minds back to God and away from the junk of the world. God's reviving us and brings us spiritual life and, and passion. Those moments are powerful. Those moments are precious. How many of you got blessed in that, in that move? Come on, raise your hand. It was life-changing. It would be good if we could allow those moments to carry us forward forever. But they won't. The Bible points out in Acts chapter 3 that we have to have times of refreshing. Listen, it's not wrong. In fact, in multiple places in Scripture, we see where Jesus himself would have to withdraw and get away from all the stuff going on around him. He would go away in prayer and fellowship with the Lord, with his Father. And that's how he would stay up. That's how he would stay up in, in, in himself and in his mission and in his call. And it's not wrong to think that revival will be life-changing. Truly, it will be. But it is wrong to think that a revival here and there and over there, that that's all you need. When we look in scripture and we, at all the things that brought about revival, when we look at church history and world events, we think about the first great awakening. Happened way back in the middle of the 1700s. It lasted for approximately 20 years and it covered British America, you know, the, the colonies at that time. It covered Protestant Europe. And after about 20 years, it just seemed to fade away. Then came the second great awakening. Toward the 1820s and 30s and 40s, again, the, the Protestant Europe, and again, mainly over here in America at that time. And then we jump forward in the 20th century, the first part, and what many would term to be the third great awakening, where you see powerful movements that grew out of that, even like the Church of God, the Assemblies of God, wonderful movements that come out of that. And all of these move of, moves of God were unbelievable. The results and the fruit, they were unbelievable. The gospel went out in untold ways. And we saw untold salvations. They were truly historic moments. But also you need to understand this. And this is something the Lord dropped in my spirit. That with the move of God comes testing. With the move of God comes testing. We are living in a day and time. And this is why I feel like these kinds of events going on in our world right now. It's shaking the church even. We are living in a day and time when the church would rather flatter itself into thinking that its move of God is more like Christmas time. When God just shows up and he doles out blessing on us so it'll put a smile on our face. And we can run around and we can show off what God has done for us. But that's not what God is into. The last time I checked, it's all about him. Somebody say amen. The last time I checked, it was about building his kingdom. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God has an everlasting love for you. Yes, he wants to bless you and give you good things. But revival, my friends, is about you going into a deeper and a deeper and a deeper walk with God. It's getting to a place where you have a deeper revelation of God, not just in who he is, but who he is for you and what he wants for you and how you are to live out the mandate and the call in your life. It invites God's testing. It invites God's trying. It invites God's assessing of your life. God imparts himself and he blesses your life for more than the thrill and the goosebumps up your spine. We need that. We have to have that. No one is against that. But when you walk out the doors of the church and you face an unsaved world, that empowerment was for them and not for you. Are you hearing me? 
It was for them and it was not for you so that when you walk out and in the middle of all hell assailing you, you can still have something surreal about you that's bizarre about you. It's called the Holy Ghost. And you've got a confidence and you've got a a, a steadfastness about you that says it's not about me, but it's all about Him. That's what revival is about. Revival for the unsaved person is salvation. And revival for the saved person is revitalization. That's what it is. Nothing worse than God coming down and giving us a gift and blessing us and moving on somebody only for them to lay it aside and not use it or neglect it or for them to abuse it. You know what? most revivals don't last very long? That the effects don't seem to last very long? That we have to go into another revival? It's because God, it's because God gives the outpouring... And then tests come. Anybody in here like a test? Nobody likes tests. Here's one bumper sticker for you. Testing follows the blessing. You can write it down. Testing follows the blessing. That's the way God operates. And it's not always, it's not always your flesh. It's not always the devil that's coming down after God blesses you, getting in the way of your victory. Many times it's God putting the pressure on to see what has resulted from His grace and His mercy and His blessing in your life. It's God allowing circumstances to come down and prove you are in revival. Are you hearing me? It tests true revival. It tests true salvation. It tests true revitalization in your life. It tests you to see if you're ready and willing to go to a deeper and a deeper and a deeper place in God. It's putting the pressure on. You don't grow and you don't mature without pressure. You don't grow and mature. You'll never learn and go to the next grade in school unless you pass certain tests. And listen, I know I'm preaching uh, some basic truth tonight, but it's worth mentioning that God oftentimes will come down and test you himself. And we all the time want to blame the devil and give credit for the devil. And God steps back and says, no, it ain't them. I'm actually the one doing this. I'm the one doing this. Don't give the devil any credit that ain't do him. Now, I will admit, sometimes God will allow the devil to put pressure on you. You say, now, Josh, is that biblical? Sure. You ever heard of Job? You ever read Job? Martin Luther had a famous statement, and it was this. He said, the devil is God's devil. He said, what do you mean by that? There's nothing that's going to happen in your life where the devil is going to overwhelm you unless God allows it to happen, and only then for God's greater good and greater purpose. The devil is God's devil. If you are a blood-bought saint of God, the devil cannot touch you and overwhelm you. God will only let him go so far. So let me just say this. If the devil is on your back, it's because God is testing you. He is allowing things to come to pass to push you and get you to develop and mature and to grow. There's a story I read about not long ago on one of our seacoasts. In a local fishing community, in this community, the whole livelihood, the whole commerce, all of the industry was based on commercial fishing. And these boats would come in, these fishing boats would come in of the evening and people from the community would go out and they would try and get the fresh catch. They'd try and get it right. Anybody ever done that before? You bought, I mean, right as they're coming in, you bought, you bought shrimp or something. It's, it's awesome. I've done it many times down on the Gulf Coast. And these, these things would come in and and what happened was all these fishermen began to get jealous because they realized after a period of time that all the people wanted to buy fish from this one fisherman. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. They were all catching the same number of fish. They were all fishing in the same area. But whenever they would get back up to the, up to the shoreline, when they would get back up to the dock, people just ultimately began to just flock to him every time. And these guys were getting jealous. They didn't understand it. Why, what's, what's so different? What's his... You know, what's the trick? What's, what's going on? How's he selling all these fish if we can't sell anything? Well, as time went on, people began to do a little bit of investigation and they found out that in the well, in, in, the, in the tank, the holding tank where this guy would keep his fish, he put a sea catfish. Y'all know what a sea catfish is? I didn't know there was such a thing until not long ago, a sea catfish. 
Looks just like a catfish. And this guy, he would drop a massive sea catfish down in this tank. And what would happen is, is that as he would make his catch, and then he would begin to dump all the smaller fish in there on top of this sea catfish, the catfish was hungry. And he would begin to swim around and he would begin to keep all those little fish that the guy was dumping in there. He would keep them going and he would keep them lively and he would keep them on the move. And the other people, the other fishermen, they weren't doing that stuff. And so what was happening was when they would come in, by the time they would get there, their fish would just be kind of flopping around. Many of them would be dead. And you say, well, Josh, what's the point of your story? The point I'm trying to make to you is this. Many times God will allow the enemy to come upon your heels and keep you in a running fashion so that you'll never grow old and tired and stagnant in your faith. If there's anything coming on in your life that is putting pressure on you, it's because God is allowing it to happen for a purpose. God's not looking for Christians to just sit back and just, you know, well, we're just waiting until glory calls us home. That ain't living the Christian life. That's not revival living. That's not pursuing the purpose of God. Yes, God will allow the enemy to come and bite at your heels to keep you on the move. Somebody better say amen to that one. He will allow it. During a revival and revival seasons, are we listening to what the Spirit is saying to us? This is going on to my second point. Are we listening to what the Spirit is saying to us, what the Spirit is saying to you individually? Are we listening to what the Word of God... I tell you what, Randy West preached a fantastic message this morning. Did he not? I mean, he was eloquent. It was on target. It was on point. It was a rhema word. It was just so in season. And are we listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to us as a church? Are you listening? Are you listening to what the Spirit of God is saying about you and to you? Are you listening to what the Word of God is saying about these times and for your life? Are you following in line and getting in line with the Father's will? We're going to hit on these three things here in just a minute. All the time, we love it when revivals come. But if we get so emotionally stirred that you can't remember or make sense out of what God is trying to convey, that's not the fullness of revival. We say things like this all the time. Boy, the Spirit moved. God moved today. And maybe He did. And I want to tell you, by the grace of God, He moves in our church more often than in so many places. We are unashamedly Pentecostal and charismatic around here. We love the manifested presence of God. Somebody say amen. We are people of the Spirit. But Paul also says this, and those who are Christ's, listen now, those who are Christ's, Galatians, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit will lead you to crucify the flesh, to grow in Christ, to mature and become more like Jesus Christ. That's testing. So let me just back up a little bit and say, if you are experiencing revival in your life, you better believe the heat and the pressure is going to be on. Where you, Are you crucifying the flesh? Come on. Are you crucifying self? The Spirit of God and the Word of God will do this in true revival. It will put the pressure on you to become more like Jesus Christ. Revival is not complete without testing. A product is not sent out into the marketplace unless it has first been tested. No manufacturer, no company is going to put a product out on the market until it has passed the test so that when it comes under pressure, and it comes under scrutiny, it passes the test. And can I tell you, that's what God wants for His church. Before God sends us out in revival and carrying it out, there's going to be testing in your own life before you can prove it to the rest of the world. Come on. I was at a grocery store today, and I didn't see any Christians out buying up a bunch of toilet paper. Thank God. We passed the test. Say amen, brother. Amen. Buying up toilet paper. You know what to buy stock in from now on, but anyway. It isn't enough for us to live in the Spirit alone. Hear me now. It isn't enough for us to live in the Spirit alone and enjoying the goosebumps and the words given to us. We need to be obedient to what the Spirit says also. Are you hearing me? You've got to be obedient and see if what you're experiencing is true revival. 
So one of the tests that's going to happen in your life when God comes and blesses you and gives you a word and, and, and reinforces the calling on your life, He's going to come and in His own way, He's going to begin to deal with you. Well, are you denying yourself? Are you dying out to yourself? Are you putting on the cause of the Father? Are you willing to follow after the kingdom? Are you willing to pursue the Father's will in your life more than your own will? I mean, these are the questions you're going to be asked after true revival. Are you willing to give up your own will? Are you willing to give up lusts? Are you willing to... Uh, do away with your own desires and pursue the things of God? Are you going to make a conscious choice to father, follow God's will? That's walking in the Spirit. Somebody say amen. That's, that's, that's taking the empowering of the Spirit and now saying, I am going to live it out and it might hurt. And it's going to hurt. But as I begin to walk this thing out with the help of the Holy Spirit and manifest the Word of God in my life and live it out to a lost and a dying world, they will see Jesus in me. And they will see Jesus in you and people will be saved. And listen, it's not always going to happen, people being saved up here around the altar. It's going to happen in your homes. It's going to happen in the workplaces. It's going to happen in the break rooms. It's going to happen in the schoolhouse. It's going to happen everywhere because you are carrying revival with you. The Lord gave me a word, just this phrase, God wants us to walk in the Spirit, not just dance in the Spirit. Are you hearing me? That's worth putting on Facebook right there, somebody. There's your chance. Pentecostals, we're all about dancing in the Spirit. Love it, but are you walking in the Spirit? Are you walking it out? Anybody ever heard of the exercise called power walking? It's goofy, isn't it? Isn't it just weird? It's just a fast-paced walk. And they, they try and make a whole program out of it and make it look like it's something new and novel. No, you're not. You're just... You're walking really fast and you're not quite running. That's all you're doing. And they market it like it's something new and novel and all this kind of stuff. It's kind of a goofy thing. But, but, but I, I do understand this. If I go get on a treadmill, I, I got a little bit, I don't, I don't know, I'm pushing 40. I'll be 40 this year. When I was 20, when I would hear 40-year-olds gripe and complain about how much they hurt, I'd, well, I'm here. And I need to owe you all a big apology. Because it's all true. And now my joints are starting to ache. And so I used to run a lot and I can't, I, I just, it hurts. I told Hannah not long ago, I said, I, I just hurt all the time. And I don't know why. I, you know, some days will just be a red. And I, she'll, well, why are you hurting? Why haven't you? Well, I don't know why I'm hurting. It's because I'm 40 nearly. That's why. That's all you got to do is just be close to 40. And, and now my knees hurt and my elbow kills me all the time. And, and, and so now I can't really run, but now I've picked up, don't laugh, but I've picked up power walking and I do it in my basement where nobody can see me and occasionally I'll go down to the Coliseum when Hannah's there and it's just she and I and it's awesome because we can lock the doors and nobody can come in I'm serious you, they, they let us in that exercise room I'll lock the doors ain't nobody gonna come in and peek in on me when I'm doing that and I'll, I'll start power walking and here's what I have learned if you're in a true power walk you're just walking fast that's all you're doing if you're in a true power walk you don't even really want to talk you can't even, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, they'll say the way that you know that you're in a true power walk is that you, 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 you can talk a little bit, but you can't sing. Well, I ain't going to sing when I'm walking anyway, but I mean, you, you don't have the energy or the voice to sing. You can't really, because you've got enough of an effort going on. And it's like the Lord just dropped this in my spirit. He's like, Josh, when you are truly walking in my spirit, you will be exerting yourself some. You will be exerting yourself some. It's not like God is going to come down and all of a sudden he's going to possess you and you're going to become a robot and you just start to walk it out because he's just so in control. No, you're going to have some deliberate effort on your part where God is leading you and he's saying, okay, I'm leading. Are you going to follow? And then he's going to help you in that following. But at the same time, there's going to be some deliberate steps that you're taking. It's going to be deliberate but it's also, it's not, it's going to be, it's going to be focused. And whenever I'm in the middle of that stuff, I'll be watching TV or I'll have my, you know, earphones in or whatever. I'll be listening and I'm focused, you know, I'm not paying attention to a lot of stuff going on. And can I tell you, when you're walking in the spirit, you're going to be really focused. You've got to be focused on the task and on the thing in front of you. God comes down and empowers you with his spirit and fills you with the Holy Spirit. And now you've got that power and that energy and that drive. Now God also wants you to be deliberate with it. Where you're deliberate. In other words, it's on purpose. 
It's intentional. It's with passion. It is focused. It is powerful. And it's all of this stuff. You're keeping pace with the Word of God and you're keeping pace with the Spirit of God. And again, everybody wants to know, are we in real revival? Are we experiencing revival? Well, verse 7. I'm actually at my text now. Verse 7 says that there are three that bear witness. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, one version says. These three, making up the Godhead, three in one testify amongst themselves of Christ's work on the earth and who He really is. They don't even need your testimony. They testify amongst themselves who Jesus is and what He's doing. Then it goes on to say in verse 8, this is what's powerful. That three bear witness on the earth. Okay, now hang with it. We're on the earth. Heaven doesn't need any testimony about who God is. It already knows. He testifies amongst themselves and all the angels and everybody. That's there. They know who he is, believe you me. Now down here on the earth, there's three witnesses that we have. The spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. So, it's like the Lord dropped this in my spirit right here. You want to know if you're really in revival in your life? This is how you know. If we're really in revival, the Holy Spirit in you, residing in you, agrees with the water. Well, what is the water in the Word? The water in Scripture represents the cleansing agent. It is the spoken Word of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's the washing of the water of the Word. It's the Word of God. It's likened unto the Word of God. And the blood of Jesus stands for what the sacrifice was that He did. So here's my point. If you are in real revival in your life, the Spirit of God in your life, that power, the Holy Spirit, will lead you to manifest and walk out and witness what the Word of God says according to what the blood of Jesus has done in your life. It's that simple. That's when you know you are in true revival. And here's the thing. You can be, and see how people get twisted up on this? You can be in the spirit and full of emotion, but if the word isn't lived out, are you hearing me? You can come up and dance and shout and wiggle and all this stuff, and listen, there ain't nothing wrong with it. I love it. But if that is the, the extent of the move of God in your life and your life outside these four walls does not manifest what the Word of God says, but let's flip it around. You might be able to quote Scripture left and right, but if you don't sense the need for true repentance and forgiveness in your life and no spirit, are you really in revival? Listen, even the devil can quote the Scripture. He ain't saved. I know atheists, you can look them up online, I know atheists that can quote nearly the entire Bible. And they don't even know Jesus, they don't, they, don't, they don't profess Christ, they don't have the Spirit of God in their life. Let's take it a step further. Or you can be truly saved, truly blood-bought saint of God. But if you are experiencing, but if you're not experiencing the power and the passion and the move of the Holy Spirit and the Word that drives you to do the Father's will, are you really in revival? I know all kinds of people saved on their way to heaven, but they don't have the Spirit moving and operating in their life. They don't have the Word of God, as Pastor Randy preached on this morning, being manifested. You have to know the Word of God. The three. The three have to bear witness, church. Come on. they got to bear witness. And we can come into church and we can draw strength from the Holy Spirit. We can draw strength from one another. We can pray and we should, obviously. I, 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 these things, I don't want you to think I'm not emphasizing. They should be givens. Come on, somebody. That should just be given in the church. I'm not preaching against them at all. I'm not trying to leave them out. That should just be givens. But there's got to be the, the three witnesses in your life. Listen, the apostles and those in the upper room were saved before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But there wasn't the empowering presence compelling them to fulfill the Father's will until after they were filled. So that's one of my points. You can be saved and truly on your way to heaven, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit compelling them to do the Father's will driving them. And the scripture even uses in some translations, compel, compel is a strong word. It's, it, was, it was driving them to move into the Father's will. 
And if you are in true revival, there will be something in you that is driving you to complete God's assignment and mission for your life. That's how revival comes. That's how revival is sustained. And that's also the remnant. This is my final point. It's the remnant. True revival is witnessed and manifested in a person's life by all three of those. And that's part of the remnant church. How many times, how many messages have we heard preached in our church, even prophesied over church that we are a remnant church? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Y'all can testify to that. That ain't me making it up. Raise your hand. Y'all heard it. Okay, I'm not alone. We say we're a remnant church and a remnant people, but that's not an easy thing. That's not an easy thing. It's, uh, frankly, when you think of a remnant, I actually looked it up. Many times remnants are just the few leftovers from a larger group that might seem worthless to most people. Remnants are simply the leftovers from the broader group. I remember my mom occasionally growing up when she would do some sewing and, and my grandma would do some sewing and they would cut, you know, they would be cutting the cloth and they'd be making whatever it was they were doing and they would just, you know, they, they would make these little snippets of things and they would make these piles and a lot of times... Um, if they were long enough, big enough, and, and strips or whatever were long enough, my dad, he would, he would take them. To this day, I think we still do it. He would take some of those, and he would use it in his tomato cages. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He would put these tomato cages out, and they would save them, and then as the tomato plants would grow, he would take these remnants, and he would, these leftovers, and he would just take them and pull them up, and he would tie them up, and we would just keep these remnants and these leftovers, and sometimes we'd have to cut up cloth. And so my point I'm trying to make to you is that many times remnants... They don't always get the glory. Come on. Remnants are not always viewed as something that is significant by the world. Remnant is not always something even viewed as worthwhile or significant by the broader church. But in several places in the Bible, now you hear me, this is what's powerful. In several places in the Bible, God places High value on those he sets aside for special purposes. Have you ever known, notice that in the scripture, I know you have, but it's worth bringing out, that it, many times when the world hates something and despises something and casts it aside, that's exactly what God's looking for. That's exactly what God is looking for. He will take the brokenness. He will take the remnants. He will take the leftovers. He will take all those, you know, the scraps that everybody in the world and maybe even the broader church just pushes aside. And, and, but again, it's not an easy thing. In several places, God, but it's the purpose isn't always easy. And frankly, it's not always desirable. If we're truly a remnant church, be ready. There's going to be some persecution come. Be ready. The devil's going to be on your heels some. It's going to be like you're in the middle of a tank and all of a sudden you've got a sea catfish on your heels all the time. You're running around constantly. I, I, I've been in conversations with, with our pastor, multiple people, and they'll just say, man, you know, not, and we're, we're not saying this braggingly at all. Hear me now. This, this isn't like we're patting ourselves. We say this out of concern. We're like, you know, does, does every other church go through some of the stuff we go through? Am I wrong, Pastor Randy? We said, we, we're like, man, you know, is this normal? I mean, is this... Is this normal? Do they all go through this? I mean, maybe they do. But, but you understand that whenever you start trying to move and operate in the things of God, get ready. Get ready. And sometimes it's even God that allows it. It keeps us on our feet. It keeps us moving. It keeps us pre pressing into God. God is not looking for a lazy church. He's not looking for a church that's just going to sit back and wait till God just takes care of all this. God is looking for an army to go out in the middle of all of this. That's what he's looking for. I'm about to bring this thing to a close. It's a hard thing to be the remnant. But God has called us to be lights in a dark world. In a dark world. We live in dark times. People say, has it always been like this? It's always been darkness in places of the world. But we know according to scripture, in the end times where we are, things are going to get rough. I love at the end of Joel chapter 2, or Joel chapter 2, verse 17, Joel asks a question. It's a powerful question. And he's speaking to the outsider, those outside of, of Israel. He's, he's asking a question. He says, Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? 
I wonder if the church is, if people in the world aren't looking at the church and say, where is their God? Where is their God? They look at my life, they look at your life, they look at the broader church. Shouldn't there be something about us that says God is in my life? I mean, shouldn't there be something about in my life that reveals God's presence, something peculiar? The Bible says in 2 Peter that we are peculiar people. Shouldn't there be something about us that is odd and awkward, but at the same time, it might be bizarre, but at the same time, it attracts people? Shouldn't there be something about the church where there's just an, you know, an, an inner hope and an inner light and a tenderness to the things of the world and the things of God? Should my reactions be the same as the world? Should I be wringing my hands in trouble and, and all the hardships that we are experiencing and wondering, oh, will you? I, I, I gotta make a confession. When all this stuff was going on, Last two or three weeks, Hannah come to me and she said, are you, are you depressed? I said, no, I, I'm not really depressed. I said, I'm just, I'm frustrated. You know, I'm just, I'm frustrated. I'm not depressed. I'm just, I just, I just can't believe all the craziness. I mean, I wasn't depressed as though I don't know who or what the answer was or is, but just a general frustration like, have we really gotten to this place? But there should be something about me that says, you know, all this craziness is going on, but I know the answer. And the answer just isn't a thing. The answer is a person, Jesus Christ. Shouldn't we have some kind of an assurance or a steadiness that when people look at us in our life and say, where is our God? We should be able to say, he is right here. He is everywhere. He is taking care of me. And he can take care of you. Verse 28, we quote it all the time, the same chapter, chapter 2. It's considered by most theologians and brains for God that it's a dual prophecy spoken of in Joel's day and at the last days regarding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read verses 28 through 32, and it says this, After this, I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. And then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. And I will even pour out my Spirit on the male and the female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awe-inspiring day that the Lord comes. Hear me now. Then everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised among the survivors the Lord calls. God will have a remnant. He will have a people. And many will come to know the Lord through the remnant. Many will come to know Him. Through the remnant of God. For Joel's prophecy, it's a revival witnessed by God that is not just for the strong or for the mighty, but it'll be able to be a part of, of all flesh for everyone who calls himself or herself the name of the Lord. I am believing in these days and these times we're going to see people, no-name people, got no reputation, got no money, have no education, have no powerful ministries or radio ministries or television ministries. And God, they're going to stand up under the power of God. They're going to stand up with an anointing. They're going to come up out of nowhere and everywhere because God is going to have a people. He is going to have a remnant people. And they, are going to, they may not have any kind of reputation or ministries or training, but they are going to stand up under the power of God. It's going to be young and it's going to be old alike. And they're going to say, thus says the Lord. God is going to have his people. They will be people that will show up in power. There will be the Moses type of people. There's going to be David, King David type of people. There's going to be Apostle Paul type people. They won't bow down to the pressure that the people are telling them to shut up. They won't, they won't you know, give in to all the politics and all the policies and all, the, you know, all of the uh, 
uh, political correctness. Whenever people start to put pressure on them, they're not going to listen to them when they say, oh, well, you can't say that. They won't listen to him and say, oh, you can't pray like that or you can't go there. No, I'm believing for young and old alike who are going to stand up and they won't have any kind of resume or credentials, but they will stand in the power of God in these last days. That is what God is looking for in his remnant. Remnant churches. Remnant people. I'm from Puxico, Missouri. You go tell the broader world, Puxico, Missouri, and they're going to say, who, where, what, how do you pronounce that? How do you spell that? God's looking for people from Poplar Bluff, Missouri, from Neelyville, Missouri, from Twin Rivers School District, from Poplar Bluff School District, from from Neelyville and Naylor and all the schools and in those places at Three Rivers and in those places, God's going to begin to raise people up who the world doesn't know, who the world doesn't recognize, who the world will make fun of, but they're going to stand up under the power of the Holy Spirit and they're not going to listen to all the junk. They're going to push back against the demonic force and they're going to say, thus says the Lord. And they're going to do it with a wisdom that the world just cannot understand. They're going to do it with an authority and with a passion and with a power and with a calling that the world is going to be blown away by and it won't be about them. It will be about God in them. God's going to get all the credit. This will be the remnant. This will be the remnant. This will be revival. They'll be full of the word. They'll be full of the spirit. And they'll be living out the Father's will. That's revival. That's us. That's you. That's the palace. Amen, church? In closing... Psalm chapter 85 says this. It's a plea to God. You guys can start playing just as soon as you get out here. He asks the question the psalmist does. He says, will you not revive us again? O Lord, that that we may rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. He says, I will hear what the Lord God will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. I am believing in this day, at this time, in this hour, God, the blood, the word, the spirit, those three are bearing witness right now. And God is calling. He is reviving. He is bringing out that remnant church, that remnant people. The the scary thing about the rest that aren't in the remnant, it's, it's those that, that think they're good, but they're really not. It's a scary thought. It is. It's a scary thought. They have a form of godliness, but what? They have no power. There isn't the witness of the Spirit. Are you hearing me, church? There's no witness. They can go through the motions, but they're not really, they've never really repented, not truly. They're not really sorry. They've never really pled the blood of Jesus over their life. They've never really been saved. They can go through the motions. They can go through all that stuff. But they got no power. God is looking for a powerful, powerful remnant. And right now God is calling that plea in Psalm 85. Will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? And at the very end, he says, but let them not turn again to folly. So in this last day, as God begins to train up and bring up that remnant in true revival, what it really means to be in revival. Revival in your own life, revival in your own heart, revival in your own home. It's not just the hours of 7 to 9 or 6 to 8 or whatever whatever night that we set revival for. Listen, come out. Be a part of that stuff. They're important. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves even so much more as you see that day come. What day? The day that the Lord returns. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. Yes, do that. Yes, be a part of all of that. But you've got to take that thing out. You've got to take that revival. You've got to be a part of that remnant in your own life, in your own home. When you are sitting in, in your office, uh, you know, cubicle, and you look around and you're the only saved person there. Yeah, you really are the remnant then. 
I've had people tell me, you know, when I was youth, Josh, I'm the only Christian. In, yeah, you, in, in the school, yeah, you're part of the remnant. Shine your light. Let the haters hate. They're going to hate. They hated Jesus. They're going to hate you. But you know what's so powerful? As you stick to your guns and as you're living out the word and you've been washed with the word of... (laughs) And the word has washed over your life and God has empowered your spirit. And you're living it out. You're living revival. Those same people that have made fun of you, they will be the same ones that will come and God will save. Because the word is there at the end. It says, but let them not return again to follow. Because here's the danger. If God is using you and you're part of the remnant, if you return to folly, guess what they will do? They'll go right with you. And they will ask the same question that they asked Joel, chapter 2, verse 17. Where is your God? Where is your God? But there needs to be something so different about us, so peculiar, so godly. Not that we are God. You know what I mean when I say that. But something so peculiar. The remnant says, Lord, don't pass us by. While the majority just floats along. They just float along. The remnant says, God, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by, Lord. God in this day and time, I'm about to bring this thing to a close. God in this day and time, He's going to call you to do things because they are right and not because they are easy. Many are called, few are chosen. Those that will be part of the chosen remnant will be those that will get in line with the will of God, the word of God, the spirit of God. Get in line with the the Father's will. There's your three witnesses. And they will be evident in your life. They will be evident. I'm going to ask the church to stand tonight.